Hello friends, welcome to Running and Fitness with Raj. This show will bring you exciting and interesting guests and give you specific and actionable advice on your running, fitness and general health. Before getting into the episode today, I wanted to share with you the exciting news that the podcast now has a website runfitraj.com. That's r u n f i t r a j.com. Please check out the website. Uh, it has all the podcast. It has all the show notes. There is a very useful search function we can, uh, where you can search the various episodes and the show notes. And do send me any feedback or questions uh, that you have. That's runfitraj.com. Our guest today is Patrick uh, McEwen, who is a world-renowned author and breathing practitioner. Patrick has written eight books, two of which have been consistently in the Amazon best-selling list. And his latest book, The Oxygen Advantage, has been widely influential in helping people who are training, people who are exercising to improve their uh, results through excellent breathing uh, methods. I myself have followed Patrick and uh, switched to nasal breathing from early this year with a great, uh, great benefit. Uh, Patrick is a, uh, practices the Buteyko breathing method. He, in fact, uh, uh, he will uh, he will share with us how he got uh, how he got involved with that. And uh, in terms of uh, knowing how to breathe, how and the importance of breathing, I don't think there can be a better guest in the world than Patrick. So, welcome to the show, Patrick. Thank you very much, Raj. Pleasure to be here. Uh, Patrick, can you uh, just give the listeners a quick overview on how you got interested in uh, breathing techniques and breathing in general uh, and a bit of your background? Sure. Like this was something I came across by complete accident. I never anticipated in my wildest dreams that I would be teaching breathing exercises. I came across it um, owing to having asthma. And with asthma, my nose was stuffy, which is quite common with people with asthma. And if you have a stuffy nose, your sleep is impacted. So then you don't just have asthma. You typically have poor sleep quality, an increased risk of obstructive sleep apnea. And with that, then poor concentration and mood can be affected. So I came across, there was an article in in an Irish newspaper back in 1998. And it was about the work of a Russian doctor who had worked um, with with his patients, but also in in the space race in trying to determine the ideal composition of oxygen for astronauts um, in space. And he said two things about breathing. He said, your breathing should be light during rest, and it should be in and out through the nose. And of course, that flies in the face of what most people think about breathing, because most people think that the more air you breathe, or when you fill your lungs full of air, or you're breathing in through your nose and out through the mouth, that all of that is beneficial. But that's not beneficial even though that's the common way to breathe. Now, I was a chronic mouth breather, and mouth breathing is typically activating the upper chest. It's very inefficient. It's reducing oxygen uptake in the blood. It's reducing oxygen delivery to the tissues, causing blood vessels to constrict when you are over-breathing. But it's also putting the body into a fight-or-flight response. You're not relaxed. The mind is agitated. And also, with mouth breathing and upper chest breathing, snoring and obstructive sleep apnea, So I switched to nasal breathing after reading that newspaper article and I practiced breathing exercises to decongest my nose. Now, it took a bit of a transition. You don't just switch from being a chronic mouth breather to a nasal breather overnight. So I felt air hunger. And that night I wore breathe right strips on my nose to help open up my nose. And I also taped my mouth closed. And the first morning I woke up, kind of I was just getting used to it. I did it again the second morning. The second morning I woke up and it was one of the best night's sleep that I had in about 20 years. I knew I was onto something. In that first week, my symptoms such as asthma, wheezing, etc., reduced by about 50%. Now, the bizarre wow. thing is that despite having you know, a chronic breathing condition for 20 years, it was never emphasized to me to breathe through the nose. But the mouth serves absolutely no function in terms of breathing. You know, it's, nature has equipped us. And evolution has equipped us and evolution has equipped animals, you know, all species with a nose. And it's the nose whereby the air should be brought both in and out. If it was beneficial to breathe in through the nose and out through the mouth, nature would have equipped us with that. But it's not. So I think like we have a very interesting conversation here, especially given that breathing 
you know, has really originated from, from India. And the ancient yogis, they understand about breathing light. But for some reason, what has happened over the generations is that the message got distorted. And maybe it could have been a Western influence because oftentimes in the West, we think that bigger is better. But when it comes to breathing, bigger isn't better. Lighter is better. Softer is better. And there's, you know, if you go to the ancient sutras in yoga, um, yogi masters will talk about breathing subtle, that the air should be so light that the fine hairs within the nostrils do not move. And we kind of know this, Raj, because if you look at a sick person, they don't display light breathing. If you look at an obese person, they don't display light breathing. And if somebody is in panic and anxiety and hyperventilation, they don't show light breathing. So light breathing is typically what you will see in a very well-trained athlete, in an individual who has functional breathing patterns and not in a person who is sick or unwell. So, yeah, so it's really, you know, by applying it to myself, um, you know, that was my first-hand experience that something was really in this. And it was a couple of years later because I had to change careers. I spent four years studying economics, and then I had to change and retrain in, in terms of breathing. And I trained in Russia, come back to from Russia to, to Ireland, 2002. And uh, I've been training, teaching ever since. So it's been it's been wonderful. Great journey. Excellent. And also, uh, I, I know from uh, from your writings that you have pretty much not had any severe asthma attacks for the last 20 odd years, right? After you adopted these methods. Correct. Um, in terms before that, I was having hospitalizations and I had a few hospitalizations and, you know, wanting and needing, you know, um, oral steroids, etc. Now, you, I'm not saying that this is a cure for asthma, but what I'm saying is that it can significantly improve asthma control. And with that, that's what it's done. It's made a tremendous difference to that in sleep. And it doesn't always cure obstructive sleep apnea either, but it can make a significant difference. And the science is starting to catch up. You know, nasal breathing and the critical importance of restoring nasal breathing. It's been discussed by Dr. Christian Guimano back in the last five years. And this doctor based in Stanford, he's a French doctor originally. And he coined the phrase obstructive sleep apnea. And he developed the apnea hypopnea index, which is a measurement of the severity of sleep disorder breathing. And he is the doctor who was really putting it out about the importance of nasal breathing during sleep. But despite this, it hasn't trickled down yet to GP level. And probably it will take 20 years because that's how long it's anticipated for a change to happen in medicine. You know, and and I'm not talking about, and I suppose that the one thing that we don't have in our favor is we don't have the finances and the resources to conduct um, multiple double blind control trials you know, because a control trial typically will cost about a million dollars, and that's just a minimum. Um, so when you don't have those resources, but at the same time, we have to ask the question, do we really need double randomized control trials? Because breathing through the nose first do no harm, no side effects. It makes sense. It's logical. And if you open up any medical textbook, which is describing the functions of the nose, the first function that will be described is breathing. And if you look at the functions of the mouth, breathing should never be listed as a function of the mouth because it's not a function of the mouth. Okay. Now, uh, you talked about light breathing and uh, in the introduction, you also talked about uh, functional breathing. Yes. Uh, can yes. you just throw a little bit more light on what do you mean by uh, functional breathing and why is that important? Sure. Like when we look at breathing, breathing is more detailed than just using the diaphragm. Um, breathing, we should be looking at breathing from three different dimensions. The first dimension is the biochemistry, and that's all about the volume of air that you breathe. And if you breathe too much air, you remove too much carbon dioxide from the blood through the lungs. And the loss of carbon dioxide causes blood vessels to constrict, causes less oxygen to be delivered throughout the body, and puts us more into a state of a kind of fight or flight, etc., so biochemistry is all about slowing down your breathing and breathing less air to allow carbon dioxide to increase in the blood in order to reduce the sensitivity of the body to the gas carbon dioxide. So that's the biochemical aspect of it. The next aspect or dimension is biomechanics. And this is breathing low using the diaphragm, a greater amplitude of the diaphragm. Because we know in the human lungs that the greatest concentration of blood is in the lower lobes of the lungs. But say, for example, if somebody is breathing through their mouth during sleep or rest or physical exercise, 
they typically mouth breathing activates and uses more of the upper chest. So the individual then is breathing more air into the upper chest, but the greatest concentration of blood, and we need that oxygen to transfer from the lungs into the blood, the greatest concentration of blood is in the lower lobes. So mouth breathing reduces oxygen transfer. So nasal breathing is important because the nose is connected with greater amplitude of the diaphragm. And by breathing using the diaphragm, it improves the pressure of oxygen in the blood by 10%. And this has been known since 1988. However, it's not enough just to focus on greater amplitude of the diaphragm. And this is a mistake that's often made. Breathing instructors will target the diaphragm breathing. They want the person to breathe with greater amplitude of the diaphragm, but in the process, they have the person breathe harder, full breaths. But hard and full breaths could sacrifice the biochemistry. So it's a balance in functional breathing. It's about having a balance between the three dimensions. Now, when I talk about functional breathing, I typically want to bring in cadence breathing or coherent breathing. And this is when we slow down the respiratory rate to 4.5 to between 4.5 and 6.5 breaths per minute because this stimulates the vagus nerve. This um, it increases the sensitivity of baroreceptors, which are pressure receptors in the major blood vessels, and it increases what's called heart rate variability. And heart rate variability is a measure of resilience in the human being. It's a measure, it's a clinical measure of stress also. You know, if you have, if we have a student and the student goes to their doctor and the student says or client says, doctor, I'm stressed. Well, the doctor doesn't really have a means of measuring how stressed is that student. But using heart rate variability biofeedback, you can get a measure of the impact that the stress has had on that individual. And people with chronic sickness, um, either mentally or physically, they typically have reduced heart rate variability. So when I'm teaching breathing exercises, I want to focus on the biochemistry And that's about improving blood flow and improving circulation because people, you know, on a very simple level, people who breathe a little bit too fast, a little bit too hard, they often have cold hands, cold feet, brain fog, etc. So the biochemistry is about targeting blood flow and oxygen delivery and smooth muscle throughout the body. The biomechanics is about targeting amplitude of the diaphragm and the diaphragm is not just, you know, for, for respiration, but it's also for functional movement because People with lower back pain, they often breathe using the upper chest. And we need diaphragmatic breathing with amplitudes of the diaphragm to provide stabilization of the spine. So when people talk about the core, the core literally is a box with the the pelvic floor to the bottom, the diaphragm to the top, the abdominal muscles to the front and the spinal muscles to the back. And we cannot think of the core and functional movement without thinking about functional breathing. And functional breathing is light, slow, and deep. Light, biochemistry. Slow is cadence, coherent breathing. And deep is using amplitude or greater amplitude of the diaphragm. But just before I finish, um, you know, it's when one is breathing deep, you don't have to breathe big. You should never hear your breathing during any yoga practice. Okay. And uh, the one of the things that... At least the common person focuses too much on breathing is on oxygen, and carbon dioxide, uh, you know, has a bad a bad rap, right? Uh, like, yes. But you you are emphasizing the importance of carbon dioxide as well. Uh, can yes. you throw a little more uh, a little more color on that? Yeah, of course. You know, it's really surprising. I think one doctor has been implicated in causing a bad rap to carbon dioxide. A doctor called Waters, Dr. Waters, based in the United States back in the 1930s, 1940s, 1950s. And I took this from a book called Brett by James Nestor. And basically, this doctor, um, over a decade or so, he said that carbon dioxide is as toxic as urine. And he failed to consider that back in 1904, that a Danish physiologist called Christian Bohr, he discovered that it's carbon dioxide in the blood that causes the unlocking or the release of oxygen from the red blood cells. And it's carbon dioxide in the blood, which is a vasodilator, meaning it's improving blood circulation. It's really a crazy notion to think that the more air we breathe, the better, because the more air we breathe, not only are we not increasing oxygen uptake or oxygen saturation in the blood, because we're already almost fully saturated with normal breathing anyway, but we're getting rid of carbon dioxide. 
And when we get rid of too much carbon dioxide, we're not able to harness or to utilize the oxygen that we are taking in. So the more air we breathe, the less oxygen that gets delivered throughout the body. And that's based on carbon dioxide. And, you know, atmospheric concentrations of carbon dioxide are 0.04% of the atmosphere. But the concentration of carbon dioxide in the human lungs and in the blood is 5%. So we as human beings need significantly more carbon dioxide in the human body that's found in the atmosphere. And we produce this gas internally. It's part of our metabolism. You know, we consume food and when food meets with oxygen, it generates energy. And as energy is generated, carbon dioxide is produced. And that carbon dioxide that's coming from the tissues into the blood, being brought back to the heart, back to the lungs, the key is don't breathe too hard. Don't breathe too much air because you blow off too much carbon dioxide from the blood through the lungs. And this causes your blood vessels to constrict. And it can happen very, very quickly. 30 seconds of hard breathing can reduce the CO2 in the blood by half. And this can result in blood flow to the brain reducing by up to 40%. And, you know, I think we know about this, Raj, in terms of when we get stressed. Many people get stressed. They breathe harder. They breathe faster. They, they go into that fight or flight response. And they're feeling lightheaded or feeling dizzy. They cannot think straight. How can you think straight when you're hard and fast breathing, depriving the brain of oxygen? And the brain needs oxygen, of course. The brain needs calmness. The brain doesn't need agitation. If the mind is all over the place and it's the breath by controlling breathing, it's the brain by controlling breathing controls its own excitability. Okay, that's that's very uh, that's very helpful. And uh, one of the measures uh, that you use um, uh, in the initial phase itself is the uh, Bolt uh, score or the body oxygen level test. Uh, yes. Can you can you let us know uh, how to how to what Bolt score is and uh, how to measure it and why is it important? Yeah, sure. Bolt score is a very simple measurement. You sit down for about five minutes. You just allow your breathing to be normal. And then you take a normal breath in through your nose and a normal breath out through your nose. And you pinch your nose with your fingers. And you stop breathing. You time it. How long does it take after you've stopped breathing? How long does it take until you feel the first definite desire to breathe or the first involuntary movement of your breathing muscles? And then you let go. So it's the length of time it takes of a comfortable breath hold time. So again, you're breathing normally. You have a normal breath in and out through your nose. You pinch your nose and you time it in seconds. How long does it take until you feel the first stress of the body to breathe? The first definite reaction that you need to resume breathing. You let go there. That's your bolt score. Now, traditionally, the bolt score or breath hold time is seen as a measure of chemosensitivity of the body to carbon dioxide. Because every breath that we take during normal circumstances is not driven by oxygen. It's driven by carbon dioxide. As carbon dioxide increases in the blood, blood pH drops and the brain reacts by sending a stimulus to breathe. But if we have an overly, sensi an overly sensitive um, reaction to carbon dioxide, our breathing is faster and harder. So we want to, you know, the, the bolt score then is a measurement or at least to give feedback of the chemosensitivity of the body to carbon dioxide. Now, interestingly, a professor of physical therapy called Kiesel, K-I-E-S-E-L, from um, I think it's Evansville University in Colorado in the United States, he studied breath hold time and he looked at 51 subjects and he looked at their breathing from three different dimensions, biochemistry, biomechanics, and a psycho psychophysiological dimension. He concluded that the breath hold time, and it was exactly the bolt score, exactly the way he described it. Take a normal breath in and out, pinch your nose, hold your nose, and time it in seconds until you feel the first involuntary movement of the breathing muscles. His conclusion was, if your bolt score is above 25 seconds, there is an 89% chance that dysfunctional breathing is not present. So it's really about getting a minimum bolt score of 25 seconds. Now, what does that mean to the average person? Well, if you Patrick, have... So Patrick, sorry to yes. interrupt, but just so that the listeners are clear, this this breath hold is not maximum breath hold, right? Correct. I mean, this, yeah. is, this is only till you feel the first involuntary movement or the first need, 
and uh, you just let go at that point in time so this is not like right. just holding till and, and you are squirming and all of that kind of a thing right <laughs> no 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 because if you hold your breath for as long as you can it's influenced by willpower and determination okay understood okay sorry yeah so so for the for the average person then if you have a low bolt score um for say if you have asthma like for thousands of people coming into me over the years, I would say you are going to cough and wheeze until your bolt score is 25 seconds. That's it. You will have a stuffy nose until your bolt score is 25 seconds. And remarkably, when the bolt score increases, the coughing and wheezing and blocked nose and also agitation of the mind and people with panic disorder and, um, you know, breathlessness during physical exercise. So, for example, if somebody comes in to me and they say, okay, they've got a hard time doing physical exercise because they gas out too soon, their breathlessness is just too hard, too fast, too much air, well, they have a low bolt score. So it's not necessarily poor condition from a fitness point of view. They may have a dysfunctional breathing pattern. And the interesting thing about this is that, you know, none of this is new. If we look at the work of an Italian cardiologist called Bernardi, and He's seen his patients with chronic heart failure. They really had a hard time going for a walk because they would be feeling severe breathlessness. And he asked a question. He said, is it their chronic heart failure which is causing their severe breathlessness? Or is it a strong chemosensitivity to carbon dioxide that's causing the severe breathlessness? So he started teaching his patients to slow down and reduce their breathing down to six breaths per minute and their exercise tolerance improved. So the bold score can be very useful for people who have problems with their breathing to give them some feedback. And then the objective is increase the, the bold score and you increase the bold score by breathing in and out through the nose during the day, during physical exercise, but really importantly, during sleep and also to breathe light, to slow down your breathing to the point of air hunger and to gently feel that air hunger over the course of maybe four or five minutes and do it several times throughout the day because the objective is to reduce the chemosensitivity of the body to carbon dioxide, to slow down the respiratory rate and to achieve greater amplitude of the diaphragm. So uh, so just to paraphrase, uh, uh, Patrick, what you are saying is uh, maybe say five to ten minutes during the day multiple times, you slow down your breath uh, till such time that you slowly start feeling uh, air hunger and keep doing this a uh, few times in a day. And that's how you can improve your bolt score, right? Yes, that's one way to do it. And then by doing physical exercise with your mouth closed, that can also help to, re- to improve your bolt score. And oh. just being conscious of breathing, just being conscious of not taking hard, big, full breaths. Okay, got it. So, I mean, in fact, uh, the, the the last comment of yours is a good segue to the next question, which is uh, a lot of the listeners are into running or some sort of a physical activity. How can, uh, and, you know, as you pointed out, probably 98% of the population when they exercise do mouth breathing. How can people uh, start transitioning to nasal breathing and specifically during exercise, like let's say running um, running or any other activity, what are the advantages of nasal breathing? The, there are, the advantages of nasal breathing during physical exercise are immense in comparison to mouth breathing. Mouth breathing just doesn't make any sense. And mouth breathing doesn't make sense because of a few a few aspects, and here here are a few of them. Number one is mouth breathing is activating the upper chest, shallow breathing. It's very inefficient because you end up wasting more air in dead space. That even though you are breathing fast and shallow, you per minute because of the fast respiratory rate, more air remains in the nasal cavity, in the throat, in the trachea, in the bronchi and doesn't get into the air sacs in the lungs, the alveoli for gas exchange to take place. So it's inefficient and it's uneconomical. Mouth breathing is trauma to the airways. It causes the airways to dry out. For many people, this will cause bronchoconstriction. They have airway narrowing. This can lead then to wheezing, to coughing, to colds, etc. Mouth breathing is not engaging the diaphragm as well as it should be. And as a result of reduced amplitude of the diaphragm, functional movement is impacted and the athlete then is more at greater risk of injury. And many injuries 
are related to dysfunctional movement patterns and dysfunctional breathing with mouth breathing, fast, shallow breathing is contributing to dysfunctional movement. Another aspect is that as you breathe through the mouth, that the oxygen uptake in the blood is, is reduced. And not only is the oxygen uptake in the blood reduced, but mouth breathing can get rid of too much carbon dioxide. And with that, then less oxygen gets delivered to the tissues. So mouth breathing, we breathe out a greater fraction of oxygen than with nasal breathing. And I'll go through the benefits of nose breathing in a second. Now, the other thing about mouth breathing is the loss of moisture. There's 42% greater water loss breathing out through the mouth. So people who do physical exercise, especially in an arid environment, you know, if you're breathing hard with your mouth open, you're losing so much moisture from the body because the nose is not just for moistening the air on the way in, but the nose is also serving to trap the moisture on the exhale breath to retain moisture in the body. Now, with this, then you could look at the impact of mouth breathing on dental health. You know, if you have the mouth open, if you're breathing hard through an open mouth, the mouth is dry, the throat is dry, and runners and people who exercise a lot have a greater instance of dental cavities, of gum disease, of um, bad breath, say, for example, associated with mouth breathing, but chap lips as well. So they're just a few things with nasal and versus mouth breathing. And just one more about mouth breathing is the state of the mind. About 30 years ago, a doctor, John Dullard, um, he looked at athletes, their flow state when they breathe it through their nose and when they breathe it through their mouths. And when they did physical exercise with their mouth closed, their state, their flow state of the mind, whereby they were in a state of relaxation and alertness at the same time was much, was much higher than with mouth breathing. So we can consider that throughout our evolution, it was very unusual for any of our ancestors to open their mouth to breathe, except in an extreme emergency even when our athletes went hunting. And there are so many stories about young kids in different tribes that, you know, when they were doing initiations, becoming men, that they had to take a mouthful of water and they had to run for five miles or whatever with the mouthful of water. And when they reached their destination, they had to spit out the mouthful of water. And you can ask, well, why would you do that? Well, if you were going for a run in a hot, you know, environment, and if you run with your mouth open for five miles, you're going to be pretty dehydrated. So, so with nasal breathing, you know, the advantages really are multiple um, in terms of, as I, as I explained, you know, that you, you have the nose in terms of moistening and conditioning the air coming into the body. You've got increased oxygen uptake in the blood. You've got increased oxygen delivery to the working muscles. Um, that in turn will reduce lactic acid, for example. And also we know that the fraction of expired oxygen is less with nasal breathing during physical exercise. And this means that the body was more efficient at utilizing the oxygen that we've brought in. It doesn't make sense to breathe in through into the body and for that oxygen to do a round trip throughout the body and then to breathe that oxygen back out again. Really, we should be asking the question, how do we get the oxygen out of the blood to the working muscles? Because if we can deliver oxygen in adequate amounts to the working muscles, it's, we, are, we stay aerobically for longer and we're able to sustain this for much longer. So nasal breathing will enable a better aerobic out, you know, workout. But, you know, I understand why people mouth breathe because it's easier. But this is a case of quality over quantity. It's really the case. Switch to nose breathing. You know, slow down a little bit if you have to in the initial stages, especially in the first week or two weeks. And with nose breathing as well, if you do have a compromised nose um, and if you have a deviated septum, which is very common, this is when the bone or cartilage that's dividing one side of the nose to the other is, is crooked. And a deviated septum then can impair the breath as it's drawn into the nose. It can help to get a nasal dilator. And a nasal dilator is a plastic device that you can wear in your nose to help open up the nostrils. So, yeah, it's worth doing. And as I said, you know, recovery is better. Um, overall, functional movement, functional breathing, oxygen uptake, oxygen delivery, protecting the airways, um, much better. Nasal breathing, no comparison to mouth breathing during exercise. Okay, no, that's uh, really, really helpful. And I think the point which is often uh, overlooked also is regarding the functional movement bit because uh, essentially what you're saying is uh, bad breathing habits also contribute to injuries because your movement is impaired yes. and you are not moving in the most efficient way possible. That's really helpful, Patrick. 
So coming to then a, a person who's doing some amount of training, uh, two questions during rest and during actual, uh, you know, uh, competitions or important workouts, pre-workouts, how can, what are some of the techniques or exercises that they can do to improve, uh, improve their breathing? I think it's very important pre-workout. We should be thinking about the night before, um, you know, pre-competition preparation or if it was preparing for, say, corporations or preparing for major sporting events. Um, getting a good night's sleep is absolutely key. And, you know, I, I remember myself waking up feeling exhausted and having to go into school and, you know, you're you're required to concentrate. And you cannot concentrate if you're exhausted because even though your your eyes might be looking at the material, your focus isn't there. So a good night's sleep is is vital. And anybody who is waking up with a dry mouth in the morning, they are unlikely to wake up feeling refreshed. They're more likely to be snoring, more likely to be stopping breathing, etc. So we use tape. And um, recently enough, I developed a tape called Myo Tape, and it will be it will be available as well in India. I'm not sure if it's if it's there at the moment, but it it will be it's under available. a different name. It's available. I've checked your website, so it's available. It's available. Yeah. Great. Um, so you know that's one aspect of it is getting the, getting a good night's sleep and make sure that you wake up with a moist mouth in the morning. You know you shouldn't have to get up to go to the bathroom during the night either because that would indicate that you have sleep disruption. So the deeper we sleep, the better, the more refreshed we are waking up. And then when you go in to do your training or competition or corporate event, you know, you have that focus. Well, you have improved focus. So I started doing this when I was giving, I talk a lot publicly and, uh, well, not now at the moment, but, uh, I did talk a lot publicly and, um, I had my own little, little ritual because I could be talking to maybe a group of 500 or 300 or whatever amount of people. And I would talk for two, two hours and oftentimes off the cuff. So I want to be in a state of relaxation and alertness. I need to be in that flow state when I go out and give a speech. So typically my ritual was that I would arrive, I, you know, when I'm staying in the hotel or whatever, I would get up in the morning and I wouldn't go to the conference room until as late as possible. I would conserve my energy. So number one is decision fatigue. You know, you have a limited amount of energy during the day. And, you know, it's not that you, you say, well, I work 10 hours a day, but you have to ask yourself, probably the first few hours are the most productive. And then you start to see a decline in productivity. We have a limited amount of energy and I wanted to conserve my energy for the talk. I don't turn up at a conference or a training um, five hours before the event because you end up talking to every person or many people and then you're drained of energy by the time your own talk comes. So conserve your energy. Number two. About an hour or so before my talk, I will slow down my breathing and I will really slow down my breathing to the point of air hunger. And this is quite simple and you can practice it. So basically you have your mouth closed and you are sitting up straight and, you know, imagine that there's a piece of string pulling you up from the top of the back of the head and allow the distance between your sternum and navel, just increase the distance between your sternum and navel and allow the distance between your, your ribs to, in, to, to widen or to increase. Bring your attention onto the breath and feel the slightly colder air coming into your nose and feel the slightly warmer air as it leaves your nose. And as you feel your breathing, gently slow down the speed of the air coming into your nose. And at the top of the breath, bring a total feeling of relaxation to the body and allow relaxed and a gentle breath out. So again, when you need to feel, when you need to breathe in again, take a very soft and slow, gentle breath in. Breathe almost that the fine hairs within the nostrils do not move. Breathe that you are feeling hardly any air coming into your nose. So you are really slowing down your breathing to the point that you feel hardly any air coming into your nose. And then at the top of the breath, you have a total feeling of relaxation that you have a slow and relaxed and a prolonged exhalation. The breath out should be about one and a half times the length of the breath in. Now with this, you should feel air hunger. The objective is that you are breathing less now than what you were before you started. The idea is that you feel that you are not getting enough air. And I would typically practice this for about 20 minutes or, you know, even a half an hour. I'd have my eyes closed, bring my attention out of the mind into the body and gently slow down my breathing. Now, the benefits of this is that you recover energy. 
but also the benefits of it is that it's activating the body's relaxation response. Now, but at the same time, you don't want to go into your event too relaxed. So then what I do is I do five breath, well, I do breath holding. So I downregulate, first of all, by doing 20 minutes of slow breathing, but then I upregulate for the event. So after my 20 minutes of reduced breathing, then I do two easy breath holds. I take a normal breath in and out, pinch my nose and hold, and I walk about 15 to 20 paces holding my breath. Then I let go and... I breathe normal then for about a minute or so, and I repeat it. I take a normal breath in and out, pinch my nose, hold my breath, and walk about 10, 15 paces or so. After the two easy breath holds, which is kind of a warm-up for the stronger breath holds, because now I want to upregulate. I want to stress the body. I want to increase blood flow to the brain. I want to open up my nose. I want to help open up my lungs. So to do that, I take a normal breath in and out through my nose, pinch my nose, hold and start walking and fast walking, go into a jog and keep holding my breath until I feel a fairly strong air hunger. Then I let go and breathe in through my nose. I wait about 30 seconds to a minute and do it again. And I repeat it five times. Then I am alert. So it, this warm up could also be brought into sports. You know, typically um, an individual who's doing physical exercise, they might warm up for 10, 15, 20 minutes, depending. And at the start, all of your warm up should be done with breathing in and out through your nose with light breathing. So spend the first five, 10 minutes breathing, doing your warm up, breathing in and out through your nose. And the last five or 10 minutes of your warm up, do breath holding. Take a normal breath in and out, pinch your nose and hold. And for the first couple of breath holds, go easy enough so that you prepare the body for the stronger breath holds. So the first couple, you hold your breath for about 10 to 15 paces. And then after that, after about 30 seconds of a rest, take a normal breath in and out, pinch your nose and hold and start walking, start jogging, fast jogging, and even gentle run and continue holding the breath until you feel a strong air hunger, then let go, get your breathing under control. And that then is activating more stress response preparing you for physical exercise so whether it's for the corporate world or whether it's for training or competition i think it's very important to have a state of relaxation and alertness at the same time so we do slow breathing to relax the body but we don't want to be too relaxed and we do slow breathing of course to relax the mind but we don't want the mind to be too relaxed so after the slow breathing that's when we bring in the breath holding and that's to bring the body into a stress put the body into that kind of, you know, state of um, not necessarily fight or flight, but a state of alertness, because by holding your breath, it helps to stop thinking, you know, because you're putting the critical mind aside and it also helps to increase blood flow to the brain. And uh, yeah, it's useful. It's very, very useful. We've been using it many, many times now with many athletes over the years. So basically you uh, downregulate first and, you know, the timing, the amount of time depends on, uh, the you know whether you are doing an event uh, in an hour's time or you are just warming up for 20 yes. minutes and then you upregulate and just to clarify patrick the, these breath holds are also similar to the bolt breath holds right i mean you are not doing a maximal breath hold when you are let's say uh, during the warm up right when you are walking well yeah during the warm up the first two would be bolt the, the first two would be easy enough air hunger but the, the next five would be strong. Okay, got it. So we will actually push. And just, just before I mention, uh, in case I forget, Raj, if the female is pregnant, don't do any breath holding. Okay. And if the female is pregnant, don't expose your body to, to any stress in terms of breathing exercises. And also, if somebody has, you know, increased risk of health, if they have cardiovascular disease or serious medical conditions, don't hold your breath to achieve a strong air hunger. Nasal breathing and relaxation and gentle, slow breathing is all fine. But uh, breath holding, it doesn't suit everybody. So it's typically for people who are, you know, relatively healthy, relatively young. Okay, understood. Okay. I had a couple of uh, listener questions. One of them you have already addressed. This one is specifically uh, related to any exercises or techniques to recover from COVID-related uh, breathlessness. I know you have put out a... Uh, a uh, 40-minute uh, YouTube video, which I will obviously link in my show notes. Uh, but are there uh, any specific advice you have here? 
Yes. Um, if, for example, like breathlessness is going to be a feature of in, you know, of a symptom of breathing problems related to COVID and with breathlessness, you feel that you're not getting enough air. So you feel suffocated. And the worst way to breathe during this time when you feel suffocated is to breathe fast and shallow because fast and shallow breathing, you are bringing more air, but more of that air per minute is staying in what's called dead space. It's remaining in your nose and your throat. So you're not, uh, you're not ventilating the, the small air sacs in the lungs. So what I would say is that if you have symptoms of breathlessness, you could do an exercise called many small breath holds. And this will help to bring your breathing under control because if you feel symptoms of breathlessness, it's very difficult to slow down your breathing because the, the drive to breathe is too much. Okay. So instead, it's much easier to stop breathing. And to do this, you take a normal breath in and out through your nose, pinch your nose and hold five, four, three, two, one. Let go, breathe in through your nose, breathe normal for 10 seconds. So you're breathing normal for 10 seconds. And then again, take a normal breath in and out and hold five, four, three, two, one. Let go, breathe in through your nose and breathe normal for 10 seconds. And again, Take a normal breath in and out and hold five, four, three, two, one. Let go, breathe in. Now, with people coming into me over the years with COPD and with severe asthma, I would ask them to do that exercise for 10 minutes every hour. So it's a very effective exercise at helping for breathing recovery to be used as in an emergency. Another aspect is that we need to improve alveolar ventilation. And we improve alveolar ventilation if you have your hands on your lower two ribs. So you put your hands on your sides. So just at the side of your lower two ribs, at the base of the, at the, base of the lungs, and you're feeling the lower two ribs there. And as you breathe in, to gently encourage your ribs to move outwards. So as you breathe in, you should feel that your sides are moving out. And as you breathe out, you should feel that your sides are moving in. And then slow down your breathing. So as you breathe in and your ribs are gently moving out, and as you breathe out and the ribs are gently moving in, then slow down the breath to six breaths per minute if you can. If you're not able to slow down the breath to six breaths per minute, slow down the breath maybe to 10 breaths per minute or 12 breaths, depending on where you're at. Like it's all relative. So you could time it. And if we were slowing down our breathing to six breaths per minute, I would say to my students, I say, so you breathe in, two, three, four, five, out, two, three, four, five, in, two, three, four, five, out, two, three, four, five. And we continue with that. And six breaths per minute is optimal for reducing dead space and then enhancing the oxygen transfer from the from the lungs into the blood. But bear in mind, don't hear your breathing if you can help it. It's not about breathing big. It's about having a balance with breathing. And the balance is that don't overbreed. You know, you want to breathe light, you want to breathe slow, and you want to breathe deep. But by breathing deep, you know, so many people make the mistake. They encourage their students to breathe deeply. And in the process, the student is taking these full big breaths, blowing off too much carbon dioxide, causing blood vessels to constrict, causing less oxygen delivery throughout the body. So, you know, there's a balance there. Okay, got it. Okay, this is uh, this is very helpful. And uh, if I rec- recollect correctly, this you have also demonstrated on your uh, YouTube video, uh, which you have uh, put out uh, specifically yeah, so, for COVID, which I will link as I said. Yes. Okay. Yeah, and the other the other one, Raj, so sorry to cut across you there. I put out a video as well on wearing a mask because in some countries it's mandatory. I'm not sure how it is in India. If you go into if you go into a social social place or a public place, do you have to wear a mask? A lot of people have a hard time breathing while wearing a mask. And many people when they wear a mask, they feel a little bit of air hunger because of the pooling of carbon dioxide. But they react to this air hunger by breathing faster and shallow, which is entirely the wrong way to do it. So there is a video on YouTube as well, how to breathe while wearing a mask to enhance alveolar ventilation. 
you know, to remove that feeling of suffocation. Okay. I will link uh, link that as well. Okay. So a little bit of change of pace, Patrick. Now uh, I have a fun segment of uh, quiz in my in my show before sure. before we let you go. Uh, just a question of uh, uh, five questions um, related to the human body, exercise, fitness, what have you. So if you are ready, we can uh, roll with it. Sure, Ron, go with us. Before moving on, I wanted to request uh, all the listeners to please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. It will only take you a couple of minutes, but it will help the show enormously and help other listeners to discover the show. So please do take a couple of moments to go and leave a rating and review on either Apple Podcasts or iTunes. If you are using another app which allows you to leave a comment or a rating or review like for example CastBox, please do that either. We also request you to please check out the website runfitraj.com and also if you have any comments or suggestions to please write to me directly at runningandfitnesswithraj at gmail.com. You can follow all podcast-related updates on Instagram at the handle Running and Fitness with Raj or on Facebook on the Facebook group Running and Fitness with Raj. Now let's get back to the show. Uh, The cells of which part of the human body multiply the fastest? I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) It's actually the root of the uh, hair, which is called... uh, Oh, right. ...which which multiplies every 23 to 72 hours. Uh, Wow. Uh, the next one, again, related to the body. Where is the smallest bone in the body located? In the eye? Uh, no, it's actually the stiffest bone in the middle ear. Oh, in the middle ear. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, so question on Tokyo Olympics. Uh, in an attempt to be environmentally friendly, they are using a particular material, uh, environmentally friend- friendly material for the beds in the athlete's village. Do you know what material they are using? And the only issue there is that uh, I didn't get the question because it kind of froze on me. Okay. So if you could repeat that. Uh, In an attempt to be environmentally friendly in the Tokyo Olympics, they are going to use a particular material for their beds in the athlete's village. Do you know what material? Absolutely no idea. <laughs> so you see that I'm not I'm not very uh, proficient with, with <laughs> so it's actually knowledge. cardboard. I didn't know that you can use cardboard. cardboard. Wow. Yeah, apparently some sort of cardboard is uh, so, so yeah, so that's that's amazing. So yeah. So it's environmental friendly as well as money benefits, yeah, huh? Absolutely. Okay. I can't imagine it becoming a trend though. <laughs> I do I don't either. <laughs> so uh <laughs> Okay, a book question. My Olympic Dream is the name of a book written by which famous Irish athlete? Oh, it's, it's well, there's a few famous Irish athletes. One would be Sonia O'Sullivan. Um, it's called the My My yeah. Olympic Dream. So, uh, and I can't remember. There's there's many of them throughout the years, so I wouldn't even remember. It's Katie Taylor. Katie Taylor, oh, okay. About, I'd be a about, fan of hers. Uh, yeah, about her uh, 2012, uh, yeah, for 2012 Olympic gold at London. And the last oh. one is uh, Fortune, Ruby Queen, and Santa Rosa are varieties of which fruit? Not an idea. <laughs> it's the plum. Apples? No, it's plum. Plum, okay. Yeah. All right. So, Patrick, I will link, obviously, to all the resources that you put out. Uh, Other than your own resources, are there any uh, other recommendations on things like books or YouTube channels or websites or podcasts? Uh, You mentioned about John Dulliard and a couple of others, which also I will link. Uh, Anything else comes to your mind? Yeah, tremendous, tremendous books by like Eckhart Tolle, The the Power of Now. It's an amazing book. Krishnamurti, who hails from India, some amazing books there that he's, you know, as a spiritual teacher throughout the years. Um, Brett by James Nestor is an excellent book. Yeah. Tremendous book on breathing. And um, yeah, so, you know, there's also XPT life in terms of resilience and performance training. And, you know, just even getting an idea of what they are doing in, in terms of pool training. So they use a lot of breathing exercises and uh, I contribute to it, but it's breathing exercises during sports by 
pushing the body to make adaptations, okay. but typically done in water. Um, the only thing, as I would say, is be careful. If you are doing anything in water, make sure you have a buddy with you, that you have somebody with you, that it's supervised, and also don't hyperventilate ever before you get into water because carbon dioxide is your alarm to breathe and you don't want it to pass out in the water because you don't feel the sensation to breathe due to hyperventilation before that. Okay, got it. And if uh, listeners, any of the listeners want to contact you, what's the best way? Our website for health is butecoclinic.com. That's B-U-T-E-Y-K-O clinic.com. And for sports performance, it's oxygenadvantage.com. And then the, ta- the tape that we use, myotape, myotape.com. Okay, got it. I'll link uh, to all of, uh, all of these as uh, well. So Great. thank you so much Thanks, for man. your time, Patrick. Really, really appreciate this. was uh, extremely insightful and uh, useful. Thanks for all the practical tips and uh, really appreciate you taking the time. Excellent. My pleasure. Thanks very much, Raj. Thank you. Thank you very much to all the listeners. Please check out the podcast website, runfitraj.com. That is R-U-N-F-I-T-R-A-J.com. It has all the podcasts, it has all the show notes, and there is a very useful search function as well. You can reach out to me on my social media handles, which are running and fitness with Raj on both Instagram and Facebook. And you can also email me on running and fitness with Raj at gmail.com. Please let me know if you have any questions or specific guests you would like to see on the show. I also request you all again to please subscribe to the podcast and spread the word. Please also leave a review on iTunes as it will help enormously to grow the show. We will continue to bring you exciting and interesting guests and give specific and actionable advice. Stay safe, stay healthy and till the next show, goodbye. Goodbye.